Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Calibre. Today, the 5th of April, 2022, starts World Sustainable Energy Days, a leading annual conference on the energy transition and climate neutrality with more than 650 participants from over 60 countries. In this episode, we discuss the energy transition with Will Argent, investment advisor to the VT Gravis Clean Energy Income Fund. I'm Ryan Lightfoot Amanoff, and today I'm joined by Will Argent, who is a fund advisor to the elite-rated BT Gravis Clean Energy Fund. Will, thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you. Um, now, the trend to renewable energy was um, gathering pace and has been for many years. But do you think that current macro issues with Russia and our dependence on its gas will accelerate this move further? Or do you think there'll be a move towards nuclear power? Um, we've heard the Prime Minister considering this recently. So which way do you think it's going to go? Uh, well, uh, Ryan, I think it's probably going to be a bit of both, um, to be honest. Um, recent geopolitical events have brought Europe's dependence on gas uh, or Russian gas into the spotlight, of course. Uh, and there is already a, a move to accelerate the build out of renewable energy capacity uh, across the region. I think in recent years, the conversation around renewables has understandably been around emissions reductions, objectives uh, and the green agenda. Um, however, if you can install more localised renewable power generation, uh, it does bring benefits in terms of security of energy supply. Um, so I think this benefit is something that's likely to be talked about more going forward. Um, but of course, harnessing the full potential of renewable energy generation, uh, which of course is intermittent, um, is also a major consideration. In terms of nuclear, um, I think nuclear is going to form part of the global energy supply mix. Um, you have different views, however, um, across different jurisdictions. Uh, Germany is a good example. Germany was uh, expecting to phase out nuclear uh, this year, um, and it may now extend the life of some of its nuclear assets. But um, you know, I don't think they they haven't suggested that they'll uh, reverse the general move to phase out nuclear. Uh, meanwhile, um, as I think you've um, you, you mentioned, uh, the UK government. Um, ha has been really keen, I think, to develop more smaller scale nuclear power plants um, around the country. Uh, and that, that was even before recent events. Um, and you mentioned the word intermittent in that answer and talk about renewables. Um, when we do think of them, renewable energy, we think of wind and the sun, things that are largely dependent on the weather, which in the UK market, as we've seen this week, where I've currently got sunshine and snow in April, um, can be a little hit and miss. Um, so what advances have been made in energy storage to make that supply more reliable? Uh, yeah, I mean, your, your observation is correct. Um, you know, wind and solar, uh, the most widely adopted and scalable forms of renewable power are, of course, intermittent uh, wherever you are in the world. Um, they are dependent on wind resource and irradiation levels. Uh, but uh, battery storage technologies have developed to a stage where, where large scale, um, you know, utility scale battery assets are being introduced to the grid network. Uh, and what this means is that power generated from renewable sources um, can be stored when when those generation levels are really high um, and then to be you know stored and deployed when needed uh, so batteries will form an increasingly important role in harnessing the full potential of renewable energy capacity uh, and, and just sort of smoothing out supply demand imbalances um, uh, over a particular period um, 
I think uh, it's also worth mentioning that hydroelectric, uh, hydroelectric power plants uh, may also be used in the context of energy storage, um, perhaps not so much in the UK, but, but elsewhere geographically. I mean, uh, when renewable power generation supply is, is really prevalent, um, excess power can be used to, to pump water upwards, essentially for, for release through the hydroelectric plant um, at a later point uh, when required. Um, and now, obviously, energy prices have been hitting the headlines a lot recently, especially the last week with the um, increase in the cap. Do you think that renewables were able to bring down the price of energy in the sort of the medium to longer term? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, if we take the UK as an example, uh, the price of electricity is set by the, the marginal source of electricity generation. Uh, it's, a, it's a merit order. Uh, so, um, you know, that marginal supplier uh, of generation tends to be gas. So the spike in gas prices recently is why electricity prices have risen. Now, over, over the longer term, you know, more lower cost um, renewable power generation capacity uh, alongside sufficient storage capacity uh, could ultimately, you know, squeeze out gas as the marginal source of generation more frequently. Uh, and thereby bring down the cost of uh, electricity. And how do these high energy prices affect the companies themselves and the things that you invest in? Um, many of the renewables have fixed price contracts, um, but are they based on energy futures? Perhaps you could explain this and how it works for the source companies that you look at. Yeah, that's right. We, we invest in, in, in companies that own uh, you know, diversified portfolios of, of renewable power generation assets. Now, um, different companies will adopt different strategies uh, in terms of hedging out their, their merchant power price exposure. Uh, some will retain higher uh, pricing risk uh, and thereby stand to benefit more in the prevailing environment of higher prices. Um, but if you, if you consider a typical renewable energy company uh, will own you know, a large diversified portfolio of assets um, with, with power purchase agreement contracts. Uh, for the output they produce. Uh, those contracts expire on a sort of rolling basis across the portfolio. Um, you know, the, the more persistent uh, recent higher prices are, the more likely these will be captured as contracts are renewed. Um, now, you know, different jurisdictions have different power market characteristics. Um, in the UK, companies may typically be able to hedge or fix their uh, sort of power price exposure uh, on a horizon of, of perhaps a few years. Um, elsewhere, um, such as in the US, uh, companies can strike really very long-term power purchase agreements uh, for the output they produce, uh, you know, extending to 15 or 20 years, uh, you know, uh, quite commonplace, uh, perhaps even 30 years uh, in the case of some hydroelectric assets. Um, you know, there'll, be, there'll typically be some form of, uh, you know, ratcheting mechanism in the contracted prices over those very long time frames, uh, however, which gives a little bit of um, protection uh, or, or, or uplift to pricing over time. Um, but I, I think what I also highlight is that um, although recent trends mean investors you know, may want to own companies with more uh, merchant price exposure, um, you know, it was only very recently that power prices were, were very, very low indeed. Um, you know, the result of the economic hiatus brought about by the pandemic. Um, so I think on a longer term view, you know, the benefits of locking in price certainty should, uh, you know, certainly not be overlooked. 
And one of the sort of big things that's coming into uh, energy prices will be the move to electric vehicles. Um, this is going to shift the dynamics for them becoming a bit more expensive now. Do you think that's going to hamper the adoption or do you think that the higher oil prices and petrol prices are going to offset that? Um, what, what are the dynamics of the higher energy price going to have on electric car adoption? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I have to be honest. It's not. A, it's not a major area of uh, focus for, for for me in terms of our clean energy strategy. But um, I think what it's fair to say is, um, you know, sales of EVs uh, are growing rapidly. Um, you know, you you only have to look at the data to see uh, the sort of rapid growth in in adoption. But also in terms of taking market share from from conventional vehicles, uh, that's certainly the case across Europe. Uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm not so sure the recent increase in energy costs has a significant influence on on that sort of rate of consumer adoption, um, you know, or, or an influence on people's decision. Uh, because yeah, uh, as you sort of mentioned, you know, petrol prices have risen sharply as well. Of course, um, uh, higher electricity prices are a function of higher fossil fuel prices, um, particularly gas, as we've touched upon. So uh, uh, I think it's 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 um, it's not really going to have had a significant impact. And one area that people perhaps sort of overlook when they're thinking about um, greenhouse gas emissions and things like that are buildings, which make up about 30% of total emissions. So what are the opportunities here in terms of adopting either renewable energies we already talked about or becoming more energy efficient for existing uh, buildings? Yeah, it's um, a big area of focus. Um, uh, I mean, there are significant opportunities for improvements in, in energy efficiency to drive down greenhouse gas emissions and, and energy usage in general. Um, you know, this could be through the introduction of co-located renewable energy generation um, capabilities, you know, on site. Um, things like district heat networks, uh, simply things like better insulation, uh, more efficient lighting and so on. Um, I think regulations um, will, will help drive improvements uh, in these regards um, over time. Uh, but I think it's also very interesting, you know, to point out that you know, actually, when we when we look at the projections supplied by you know, the sort of major energy consultancies uh, in terms of the required investment to reach uh, net zero ambitions, uh, for example, energy efficiency investment. Uh, actually forms a larger component, a monetary component, um, uh, compared to what's uh, sort of required in terms of um, renewable energy supply capacity. Um, so, so yeah, a big uh, sort of um, emerging opportunity set, uh, potentially. Thank you. Um, and now finally, just sort of turning to your portfolio a little bit, um, I see one of the biggest ways in terms of security types you've got in there is a thing called yield code equities. Um, can you just explain to our listeners what, what they are, please? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a bit of a catch-all uh, term. Um, uh, yield co is really a term commonly used in, in North America uh, to describe companies that are created um, to own physical operational assets that produce predictable cash flows. Um, you know, these cash flows are underpinned by, by the long-term contractual arrangements we we mentioned a moment ago. Um, 
you know, so yield codes are prevalent in the energy sector. And of course, in our case, we focus uh, on yield codes that house portfolios of renewable energy infrastructure assets, um, such as wind farms and solar parks. You know, yield codes um, will often have a sponsor, uh, a major shareholder that will undertake uh, perhaps the less predictable activities in, in, in terms of um, uh, renewable energy um, capacity build out, so the development of new projects, for example, uh, and there'll often be an arrangement in place uh, between the yield co and that that major shareholder or sponsor, uh, so that the the yield co gets optionality uh, or first refusal uh, refusal sorry on those assets uh, once they have been uh, energised and and de-risked. Um, yield co's are created dis to distribute a really you know, high proportion of cash flow generation to investors in the form of dividends. Uh, and of course, that clearly suits our income focus strategy in this in this area. Brilliant. Well, Will, that's been really interesting. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Renewable energy is undergoing mass adoption, a trend which this fund taps into directly. It aims to capture a blended portfolio of the best listed vehicles across the developed market and give an anchor to portfolios through defensiveness and steady income. To learn more about the VT Gravis Clean Energy Income Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. 